Welcome to the Forensic Cop Podcast. Liverpool 2, Aston Villa 0. What did you think of that? So, I mean, this is going to sound a bit weird, but it felt like the standard Liverpool win this year. And I know you're going to be like, what on earth are you talking about? The the thing was, I mean, we had a lot of possession. Um, I think we had almost three quarters of the possession, but we weren't outstanding. We were a little bit sloppy. Um, you know, we actually had less shots than they did. Same number of shots on target. Like we did not, um, we were not as good as we should have been, but we found a way to win. And I feel like that's the story of our season this year is we aren't firing it on cylinders. We're not, we don't have that clinicalness, that, that finish. We're not crushing Aston Villa like we should have, but we got away with the win. And, you know, in the end, it was relatively easy with a two goal win. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that the, the break that we've had since March has caused a lot of us fans and probably other teams um, fans or neutral observers as well to forget that throughout this season we've had these types of um, games where we don't look very convincing we turn it on for a few moments in the second half and then the game is won right so if I look through our results over the past um, let's say 15 games we we tend to do what we've done right now where We'll beat Crystal Palace or we'll beat a team 4-0, look convincing. Then the next game will be okay, we'll win. Then the next home game will be decent, we'll win. Then the one after that will we'll kill the uh, the oppo- opposing team and, and be playing like the champions that we are, right? So I think it's, it is it is pretty much normal business resumed. You know, the one thing I will say is I, do, I did feel like in the first half and even the beginning of the second half... I felt like Aston Villa had a very clear um, plan, which was that they were going to have basically everyone behind the ball. You know, they were collapsing um, all the players uh, into their own third to the point where, you know, um, um, our defenders were almost in the final third as well. So they were collapsing very low. But then when they went the other way, like a lot of them ran up. So it wasn't the standard team that maybe one or two guys run up. It was a lot of them were going. And I felt like that forward back, forward back that they were doing as a team. Like I felt, again, I haven't looked at the statistics, but I felt like the amount of running they were doing um, as part of their game plan, I felt like would lead to goals at the end of the game. Do you think that it would have led to goals at the end of the game if we kept the same lineup that we started with? That one's a tough one. I don't know. I I felt like the lineup didn't look as fluid um, as maybe it should have, which I guess is a good question for you. So we brought three guys in. Was it all three guys that made the difference? Or do you think it was like one guy? Like, was it all because of Firmino? Was it all because of Hendo? Or was it just those three guys because they've played together longer? Like that that, uh, setup has played together more. So that's why they knew each other. What do you think? I think that's exactly it. So we talked about this after, um, I think it was the Everton game. Klopp really needs to think long and hard about what he wants his squad to look like. So it's all well and good having a a, a first team of, let's say, 11, 12 players because he, he typically rotates 
three positions amongst four players in the midfield. But you take any three of those out at one time in a game, and it completely disrupts the the um, patterns of play, the relation, the the of uh, the fluidity. That's the word I was looking for, and partly the reason for that is, of course, when the players like Ox and Origi are not playing consistently, then of course they will not be in rhythm. And secondly, when he he simply replaces those players, so he takes out Firmino and puts in Origi, he takes out Genie or Henderson and puts in Ox, and he doesn't change the the tactics, those Ox is not Genie or, or Henderson. Origi is not Firmino, right? So I think Klopp really needs to decide Am I always going to play this formation? In which case, he needs to find suitable backup for his first team players that can also play in that same formation, or he needs to be willing to change his tactics when he wants to rotate the squad. Because I'm sick and tired of seeing Origi playing on the wing as if he's Mane or Salah. He needs to be playing in the middle, and he's not for me. He's not. He's not going to drop down deep and pick up the ball. But to tell you the truth, n- number nine. I actually like Origi in Mane's position. He's looked good from there. I don't know why, but he seems to be more dangerous coming in off the wing than coming down the middle. But I, I do get your point. I feel like um, clearly the lineup that um, Klopp went with this time was more about um, pushing forward, more about uh, getting chances on net. I mean, you know, Firmino's going to set people up, but Origi is going to be more of a direct threat to net. Um Keita is clearly going to be more direct towards the net. He's going to try to create stuff. Ox, same thing. He's got that great shot. So it was clearly an expectation that Aston Villa would be sitting back and they were looking at these guys to create. But what's interesting is you said that they weren't, that Klopp doesn't change his tactics. I actually thought he kind of did because I didn't really see a lot of them coming down the wings like they have in previous games. It was a lot more, maybe not through the middle. Talking about the fullbacks? The fullbacks were not spending as much time coming down the wings, I felt. Right, but because that's that's because the midfield was disjointed. Um, Oxlade, I like him as a player. I just don't know what his, his best position is. I really don't. Today, he looked completely lost. And when he plays in the front three, he looks lost as well. But he does have great games in the middle. So so I guess it's who he's playing with. Perhaps Henderson is is, is a great complementary player right so if he's playing alongside someone like henderson henderson will know how to adjust his game in order to to help oxlade with his own but in this game i saw ox taking positions almost side by side with fabinho not really sure whether he should push or stay back and in terms of origi he is great coming in on the left as well i think the thing about him is when he come it, it depends on the type of game right so when we're chasing a game that we haven't been playing well in. Origi typically doesn't come in and win the game for us. When he starts a game that maybe we have to win, or he comes in for a game that we're already winning, then he'll just uh, kill the game off. You know what I mean? But when we're not playing well and then we bring him on, he never has... I, I can't recall him having a good game off the bench in a game that we were chasing or we're not doing well in. He just comes in, tries to do more of the same thing and we end up not winning the game well i mean i wouldn't necessarily go that far he has had some big goals i think back to uh last was it last year at everton um right uh, but were we chasing that game well we were tied and we needed that win 
Oh, you're talking about Newcastle? Was it was that the well? No, he had more than one because he had the one that he headed in when Pickford um, didn't know what to do with it on the bar. Oh, okay, that was at Anfield. Yes. So, like, there are moments when he comes in. Like, I feel like he's a fantastic change of pace to what the current front three offer. I I like oh. his size, his speed, his directness. So, I think when you've been battling with Mane, who does a little bit more tricks. He comes in and he's more of a one-man wrecking crew than kind of Mane who plays with Salah and, F- and Firmino. Um, I, I guess my point is if, if we've had a game where Sadio Mane has been playing on the left and hasn't really been able to to be effective and we take him off and bring in Origi, nothing is going to change. Because at that point, the player that is defending against Mane has already built confidence. And if we're simply going to bring on Origi and put him in the same position against that same defender. He I, I I don't have the confidence that anything is going to change. But if we bring him on and put him in the middle and and change our our um deliveries, let's say, then I have confidence because he's a different type of striker than the the other front three. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um all in all, I got to tell you, I was actually quite excited when I saw the lineup. I like the idea, I guess, and I say the idea because I didn't like the result, but I like the idea of Keda and Ox as kind of the more forward midfield and Fabinho as the holding midfield. It just, it didn't look good. Like, I, I like that idea. I feel like that's a strong midfield that can generate a lot of offense and defend well as well. But, I mean, it, it just, I was I was hugely disappointed with it today. I suspect that if Henderson had started in place of Fabinho, it would have been a better gelled uh, midfield. And I don't know why. But I, I just sense that if Henderson was there, he would have known how to get the best out of Oxlade alongside Keita. I just feel, am I, am I crazy or does Ox just not look like he's back to where he was before the injury? Yeah, he's, he's, he's out of rhythm. And I think he's struggling to find out where he fits in into the team. I, I think that's been clear the last few games and especially this one. Um, a lot of his passes are completely misplaced. I think he's overthinking. So, yeah, I mean, he, I can see that. Yeah, he, which is why he probably plays a lot better against teams that that um, are on the front foot, right? Because he he's a he he play he, he plays on instinct, and so when a team is attacking us, then he can quickly uh, shuffle his feet and 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 progress with the ball. Yeah, I can see that. Um, other thoughts that I had at the beginning of the game. I mean, I like the midfield. It didn't work out great. Um, one that I absolutely have to bring up is, oh my God, what did Origi do to his hair? Like, what bet did he lose for that? Um, and I do have to say, I know it's weird, but the honor guard that we got at Aston Villa, much better than Man City. Um, I can't imagine why Man City wouldn't have been more enthusiastic, but clearly they were not. Um, it's funny because I, I, I thought that it's only the next game to get the guard of honor, but I guess it's been so many years... I, I, I don't remember the last time that a team won it that early that they just receive a guard on it for the rest of the games. So, if I'm or, if or, I'm not mistaken, that's a record, isn't it? Haven't we? Isn't this the earliest any team has ever won it? Yes, it is. Yep. So nobody's ever gotten this many potential honor guards. But uh, anyway, so it was a. I they actually Aston Villa was respectful in it. I like that. I also thought it was kind of hilarious that after putting their best foot forward against us, um, Man City went out and lost to Everton. 
so, you know, again, uh, Southampton, sorry, Southampton. Yes. Um, so they clearly blew it all on us and they had no energy left, I guess must've been, I don't really know. I didn't see the game. Uh, statistically they dominated, but they lost the game, which seems to be the, the, their season this year. Um, and they're, they've now got nine losses, which is just crazy. But anyway, the, the other uh, things that I uh, kind of saw as I was going through the game, um, I think Aston Villa played a lot better than I would have expected. They looked, they looked more dangerous throughout the game than I really would have thought they would be. I, I thought they were just going to sit back and try to absorb pressure. But I felt like they actually made some decent runs forward, unlike maybe some other teams we've played. Yeah, um, I was actually quite impressed and good for them for for going for it. At this point, they have nothing to lose. That's a game that they can they could have totally taken a risk because they weren't expected to even get a goal, let alone a point or even three. And they almost certainly could have come away with the win. I would not have been surprised if if they won that game the way the first fifty or sixty minutes went. Um, so so yeah, um, it's but just to, too bad. To- to that point, sorry to interrupt. We have talked before about games that we've watched, and I'm not entertained by them. I don't like them. I think it's a bad look for football. Uh, this is the type of game that if you're playing a team like Liverpool that you're expected to lose to, I think this is how you play it. Some of the other teams that show like they maybe have two runs up the whole game, that's just like that's not entertaining for anyone to watch. It's this, this was a legitimate, like Aston Villa legitimately, had they won the game, I wouldn't even have been mad. They they generated some chances. And if they finished on them, they finished on them. Like good for them. They, they clearly brought their people back, but they actually looked to score too. Like it was a, it was a honest to goodness trying to win a game. Well, so to say they look to score is one thing. The question is really, did they look to attack? Right. So if the team that played against Crystal Palace played today the same way that they played against Crystal Palace, my question to you is, do you think that Aston Villa would have had as many opportunities as they did and would have been able to even look like they were trying to win? So here's what I'll say. Uh, Probably not. But then that can become a chicken in the egg thing, which is. Was it because of the way Aston Villa was playing that it kind of took us out of rhythm? Because I think it was very clear at the beginning, especially the way Klopp set out his lineup, and you could see it when we came out, we were expecting to dominate the ball and pass it around the outside and look to create chances. I don't think we were expecting them to run up in the way that they did. And maybe they weren't generating tons of chances, but they looked to genuinely try to score. Um you know, when they had the chance, it wasn't one of those, yeah, get one guy to run up or two guys to run up and hope something happens. It was a legitimate attempt to try to make things happen. And so I don't know, I I maybe give them credit, maybe they threw us off our game a bit, because they were more aggressive than we thought they would be. Yeah, and I think that's the key. I think it's less to do with what they did with the ball, because I'm sure Crystal Palace tried to to attack and tried to score. They just they just weren't good enough for the day right it was more of how they attacked us when we had when we had the ball so that's where their aggression uh paid off today versus crystal palace that sat back waiting for us to to break them down in in this case aston villa said oh okay you had the ball we're going to press you and 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 see whether or not that'll throw you off your game now if we had our first 11 playing 
I don't know if they could have pressed us the first play and conceded and then said, okay, let's not do that again, right? You never know. It's true. You never know. Um, another thing, and, and again, I'm, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about it, is I'm just like beyond tired when it comes to talking about what is and is not a penalty. Um, Salah had beef during this game where he got um, taken down in the box. And don't get me wrong, I actually don't think it was a penalty. But then, um, like, I think it was in the 16th minute, he got called for the exact same amount of contact against the other player when he was coming down. Like, you either call it or you don't. And I'm just getting tired of, well, if it's in the penalty box, we're just not going to call it. Um, you know, and I noticed in the in towards the end of the game, in the box, there was a pull on Salah, there was a pull on Genie, and I'm not against the like those not being called. I'm actually I don't want everything to be called, but you just need consistency. If it's in the box or it's out of the box, it shouldn't make a difference. And I just I get frustrated by that. Um, but again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. I assume you didn't think that that pull on Salah was a penalty either. So you know my thoughts of penalties. I don't think anything should be called, quite frankly. And so, and I think I've been watching football so long that I expect there to be inconsistency between whether it's in the box, out the box, whether it's a defender fouling versus an attacker fouling. So it doesn't really upset me or drive me nuts as much. I I expect that type that type of um, line between calls, and and I almost resent VAR for trying to make it equal. Right. Or, um, yeah, equal, because there's a there's a difference between equal and fair. Football is not meant to be equal, but it's meant to be fair. So so here's the thing. Um, And you know this. So I have two young children and I see things differently um, now because of them. And so I watch football with my kids now and my daughter's four. And so she's actually pointed out some things that I guess I've never thought about. But one of the ones today was when Salah went down and there was no call. She's like, why, why did the, why, why was that not wrong? And I said, I don't know. It wasn't. And then like, it was like five minutes later or something where he got called for it. And she's like, but daddy, that was the same thing. Why did they call it? And I'm and like, you sit there and you're trying to explain to a kid. Like, it's just one of those things where, she's she's still not really entirely understanding why we cheer for the guys in red like she doesn't get the passion for liverpool um she knows she's supposed to but she has no bias she's watching the game without bias and she looks at it and says daddy that's not fair and so that kind of reiterates to me like i just want the fairness but anyway i've gone on too long about it the one thing i did want well, to say is let um, me ask you a question though, yeah on that so not to veer too 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 much on track but Going back to explaining these things to your daughter, how do you explain to her something like, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Oh, we're still not there. <laughs> right. So, and, and, and I've always said for the longest time that what makes football so popular and special in, in people's hearts is that it, it, it's a miniature reflection of life, right? So you watch a football game and it's almost like you're watching a story of a like a true life story. A lot of things are not fair. A lot of things are not equal. The good guys don't always win, but yet we still watch it. And that's part of the passion that attracts us to the game. So, so it's it's funny you say Mark, that. 
because I, I was interrupting heard, that. I, I'm sorry, go on. It's funny you say it because I have heard it said, and I absolutely agree, which is that sports is the original reality TV. And that's what it is. It's reality happening in front of you. Absolutely. Right. We talk about Survivor and uh, The Bachelor and all of that, which aren't even that reality anymore because some of that stuff's staged and we know where it's they create certain situations. But soccer is literally the alt or like sports in general is the ultimate reality TV. And to your point, yes, you get incensed when the ref doesn't make the call you want. And it's like that's what brings the passion in and all that. But again, at some point, I just and again, I'm saying Salah shouldn't have gotten a penalty call when he was taken down to the box, but I just want that consistency. So again, I'm right. I'm saying it in part like I'm seeing it through the eyes of my daughter, who's saying, I see two things that are the same, Daddy. Why aren't they the same? And I got nothing. Cause the referee doesn't feel empowered. Like how am I again? She has a limited vocabulary. She doesn't understand the concept of a comparative penalty. So, you know, I suspect I suspect that if we we take all of that out, like if you just put on a FIFA game and you're just watching a two AIs playing against each other and everything is totally fair, totally equal. Yeah, we can watch a few games, but we will not watch seasons of that because we you know we've removed that element of of real life and inconsistency and um not being able to predict the, what happens next which is really ultimately what attracts us to the game so i agree with the unpredictability but i don't know if i necessarily agree with the unpredictability of officiating i agree with the unpredictability of players because i mean y- you've seen you know, Salah will take the exact same shot in two different games and one of them ends up as the most beautiful goal you've ever seen and the other one ends up like 20 feet over the net. And you're like, what is that? So I understand that inconsistency. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the refereeing. But again, I know that's one we we don't necessarily see eye to eye. Um, I, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. But one thing I did notice is Alexander Arnold today. What'd you think of him? I thought he played a lot better than he did in the Man City game. Um, he tried a lot of those diagonal passes a lot of times because we don't have the benefit of seeing the full the full field. When he kicks it, I'm thinking, okay, that's not going to anybody. And then all of a sudden, I see it at the feet or the chest of Andy Robertson. Um, now, there was, there was one run that he made where at first I thought it was Ox playing because we were speaking earlier about how Ox is an instinctive player where if you attack him, he can easily shuffle his feet and, and uh, carry the ball around you. So I saw I saw what I thought who I thought was him making this run, a typical run where he dribbled past one player, another player, another player, and then I think uh, attempted to pass it. And then I realized, oh, that's Trent. And so I, that's I, at the twenty second minute. Twenty second minute, okay. Yeah. I, I actually made a note of that because I noticed the same thing. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen him do similar or make similar runs in the past, but for some reason today seemed the most effortless that I can recall him making. And that kind of goes back to what we were discussing in on our previous podcast about um, whether or not or when he'll be moved into the midfield. And for sure, if, if he can bring that type of drive, then that might be a good move. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the slightly different way, and it felt like he was, t- 
today more aggressive carrying the ball and through the middle as opposed to down the side. Do you think that is just the product of the way Aston Villa was playing and the way our midfield was acting? Or do you think it was a product of Klopp saying, you know what, why don't you give something like that a try to slowly prepare him for a midfield role? I would not be surprised because as much as Klopp will say the right things in front of the camera, he he would be amiss to not take advantage of this amazing opportunity we have to essentially um, um, experiment is is a word experiment with with new tactics looking looking forward to next season and we we saw that with Williams coming on at left back and again that's another thing that we spoke about last week. He could have easily just taken him off or replaced Trent with Williams, but n- now would be a great time to see whether Williams can 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 be that fullback cover for both Trent and Andy Robinson. But going back to your your question about um, Trent, I I wouldn't be surprised if Klopp intentionally was asking uh, Trent to try a few things with with a view of moving him into the midfield, maybe not full time next season, but at some point. And today was a perfect game for that. Yeah, I I would agree. It it felt um, too different. And there were times that I felt like he maybe could have made the run down the side, but he intentionally came into the middle. And he he definitely carried it more like his game, for the most part, from what I've seen, is he's not going down the side challenging guys. He's not trying to get through a couple guys. He's just trying to go in an unopposed path and then cross. Maybe he'll try to, you know, run past the guy, but it's more a guy who's trying to get to him as opposed to a guy who's already there. Today seemed to be about going through guys, which again, I mean, amazing if he's got the skill to do it. And I think to your point, um, I think I think there must have been something from Klopp saying, you know what, give it a shot and see how it feels. Again, it's Aston Villa. Um, it's it's low risk proposition, as it were. Uh, if you're going to try anything, you do it this year as opposed to next. Um, so I, I actually do think that that might have been part of his plan. Yeah, and and on that topic, the the one thing I would like to see from Trent, and he doesn't he he doesn't have the opportunity to show that yet because he's not playing in the midfield. But I would like to see what his temperament is like, whether he has the patience to play the progressive midfield role that that we play under Klopp with a lot of sideways passing, patience, a full view of the field, not just box-to-box like uh, Steven Gerrard or uh, football used to be in the the 2000s. Um, And on that, another player that that I wanted to comment on was Curtis Jones, who came on and surprisingly played in the center midfield or in the midfield and not on the left, which is where he's been mostly played in the past. He, now he is he is a central midfielder, but again, I haven't had the opportunity to see him um, express temperament and and um, discipline in the midfield. So, what do you think of his performance, and do you see him playing a midfield role in the future or more of an attacking? So, I'll be honest; I always thought of him as more of an attacking role. Um, I didn't really think of him as as kind of the way he was brought in today. Um, but you know what, I'm, uh, I, I kind of, like, I'm a little bit torn because if we hadn't been this far ahead and Klopp was bringing these guys in, I'd be like, wow, these kids must be ready. Now, I like, I think he played well, 
and I think he he showed what he can do. But I don't know if this is Klopp giving chances to guys he maybe doesn't necessarily think are ready. So that's where I'm a little hesitant. But I, I like what I see from him. He's clearly got a good sense. He understands what his role is. And he's clearly able to do more than just one specific position, which to me is is fantastic. I think that Jones is definitely ready for the Premier League. I don't know if he's ready to play in the midfield, to my point. I don't I don't know if he'll be disciplined enough because we saw the first thing he did when he came on is he took a shot with his left foot because apparently he's he's extremely confident, right? And um, he would have been told to 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 play in a certain way. Um and midfielders on our in our team typically look for the the more advanced players to 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 have take to take their shots. But he just came on and he took a shot with his left foot because that's how that's how much he believes in himself. Well, he's he's great, nineteen. It, he's yeah, nineteen, and, and, so he's he's gonna do stuff like that. And yeah, absolutely, and it's a great skill to have, and that's why I think he's ready. But I don't know if he'll be ready for a midfield role in in a club team. But he could come on for the occasional cameo. You know what, and and you never know because given how our team is, I don't want to say in transition because we're not quite there yet. But there's there's it feels like we will need to transition in the next year or so. Maybe Klopp introduces a new system where the midfield is not just a holding midfield; it's uh, provides some more forward attacking, and you got a guy who's more in the shape of Ox who can take a shot from thirty feet out and scare the defense. Because that's been missing, you know. So maybe, maybe that's something. Um, here's one for you. So, so Jones, obviously a great sub. Uh, again, it meant nothing because it was right at the end of the game. But Neko Williams coming in for Andrew Robertson, not for his yeah. usual position on Alexander Arnold's side, but Andrew Robertson. Yeah. So, so we talked about that, right? Uh, I I suspect that Klopp is taking this opportunity to see what he has at left back. Right. Um, I'm sure he more than any of us doesn't want to see Milnet left back, but he's left with no choice a lot of times. And it's clear that Andy Robertson plays too much football. It, it's it's clear to everybody. But unfortunately, we, we don't have the luxury of an equivalent of a left left footed Nico Williams to be able to come in and rest him from game to game without dropping a beat. But maybe we do. Maybe we have Nico Williams to play a left footed Nico Williams. So do you think? This was, again, and, and it's funny, I keep asking this question and every time we keep talking about Klopp's genius, do you think it was just bringing the guy on or do you think it was part of a larger thing? I think it was part of a larger thing. Yeah, Klopp I, I get very, that impression he, too. He, he's very intentional and, and he said it. He said it that, you know, um, playing time is, it, you, you don't just gift playing time to youth players and also the fact that a player like adam lalana is not on the bench right now just for the token appearance which i'm sure he'll get before the end of the season however klopp is clearly looking towards next season and he's using the squad and the young players that are ready are the most ready so elliot jones and williams are in every match day squad and he will use them but he's not just putting them on just for the sake of it because he totally could have right but he's he's yeah. picking their moments. So did I see right? Was Shaq on the bench? He was. Yeah, is is that a, is that a genuine Shaq's sighting? Yep. He 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 lives. 
I'm, I'm again, I'm very happy that he's back. I, I don't know. I think he'll be in the Lalana category where I'm not sure he'll get much time. But uh, no, I, I think you make a good point. You know, Jones, Elliott, and Williams, uh, and Minamino, of course, being on the bench every game, game in, game out, and being offered these opportunities, I think says a lot about the future plan. And today, I, I do feel like was a strong indication of where Klopp is looking to go. Like you said, I think he's thinking of Neko Williams as cover on the left and right. And he's at the very least exploring the idea of Alexander Arnold going into the midfield. And so he told him, take a few runs and see how it feels. And I think he did great. Yeah. And no matter what he says, we know that they're chasing the records. And so if, let's say, before the last game, we beat the 100-point total, then I would not be surprised to see the last game look a little bit different positionally for two or three two, two or three of the players so i think the last game we can be guaranteed will will have lalana in it and i would suspect shack as well if he's healthy um to let them go out in a respectable way because i think we all know lalana's not back we all know shack's not back so i i think that they'll both play in the last game um but anyway, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll already have the 100 plus points by then um so what about so for you who was the man of the match Hmm. Um, I would say, well, any, I say either Allison, Keita, or Mane. I know I'm I'm not making a decision here, but I'd say Keita. Yeah, I mean, Keita looked good. I guess I'll give it to Mane because he got that goal that was that important. Although on that goal, I mean, was he trying to put it over the net? Like... I know. I, I thought he missed. I, I saw it. And when I saw it on replay and I see him like open his foot up and tilt it up and I'm like, what on earth are you doing? Like, but I mean, it went in, thank God. But man, he really tried to not get it in. Like it, it was one of those where you're so close, you have to have skill to miss. And he almost did. Um, I don't know but- if you remember early in his Liverpool career, he, he, he would always, he would always find a way to fall on the floor after shooting and after scoring. It just—it it was a weird technique where he would shoot, fall, but he would score, right? So I wonder if that was a way that he managed to keep a lot of these shots low. But but over time, they're training it out of him, and so which is why, like today, normally he would have just been on the ground after shooting, and it would have stayed low. But because he's trying not to fall, it, it stayed high because he's still learning to stay on his feet, if that makes any sense. No, I mean, it makes sense, and it, and it's a possibility. It's just, I like, you look at it, and you're like, it's so unnecessary. Like, make contact, and it's going in, man. You don't need to direct it anywhere. Um, but anyway, so I'll, I'll give him the man of the match. I thought he played a good enough match, and and again, scoring that that one uh, goal that, that, you know, kind of got it rolling. I mean, Curtis Jones, good for him. He scored again. But it was really that first goal that was what we needed to break the ice. Um, so I'll give him the man of the match. Who was your donkey of the match? Oof, donkey of the match. You know what, don't answer that question. This is a fan podcast, so let's not even go there. Yeah, you know what, there were some guys who didn't look super awesome. Um, uh, I I thought Origi wasn't wasn't great. Um, And and Ox, I think, again, he seems to disappear for long stretches. But I don't think anyone was that, that bad. Um, If someone had, you know, given up a horrible chance... And, or something like that, it'd be a different story. But I don't think there's any anyone like that today. 
Yeah, so, I, I I agree. I wasn't impressed with Origi, but I've seen him play this type of game before, so I wasn't surprised either. Because you either get a very good Origi or a very bad one, and I'm okay with either because I'm so used to it, right? And with Ox, as as we said, I think he just it was unfortunate that he was in the midfield that had two changes, and if if you put him in a midfield with only one of Genie, Fab, and Henderson removed, then it's a, he he's a completely different player. But if you make two changes and he's one of them, then he may be a bit disjointed. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, again, uh, not our greatest game, but at the end of the day, we came away with a win. Uh, we are, thanks to Man City's loss, 23 points up, and we're still chasing um, the most point total ever. And so on to Brighton on Wednesday. For more stories, analysis, and articles, go to the ForensicCop.com website. <laughs>